0: you're listening to nick luck daily this edition is brought to you by fitz by the racehorse owners association and by thoroughbred racing commentaries global rankings good morning welcome to the show tuesday the 30th of may coming to you today from the press room at Leicester Racecourse, an historic press room, you might say, and one today that is absolutely freezing cold, as it was when I emerged from the car at about half past seven with an east wind blowing hard across the the racecourse. I can't imagine it will be much warmer at many venues around the country today, and certainly not on Newmarket Heath, which is where a few moments ago I caught up with John Gosden, from whom you will hear very shortly about the runners that he is set to have at Epsom this weekend, a rest in the Derby. He's double-handed with Soul Sister and Running line in the Oaks, and of course the return of Emily Upjohn in the Coronation Cup. The debate continues to rage surrounding the fixture list and new dimensions proposed by the British Horse Racing Authority, as released last week. And the uh, the one trigger point seemed to be the addition of a trial of six Sunday evening floodlit fixtures. For a bookmaker's perspective on this, from a corporate bookmaker's perspective on this, uh, Entains Simon Clare will join me uh, later to discuss the the merits and demerits of such a proposal. And later in the programme, in our weekly tour of the bloodstock world with Weatherby's, I can promise you a European history lesson, the like of which you haven't had even in that slot so far, featuring, I think, one of the oldest studs anywhere in the world so that is very much something to look forward to uh, i'm joined today by jonathan harding from the racing post jonathan before we hear from john gosden anything really grabbing your attention derby wise
1: yeah i mean i like everybody looking forward to the race slightly apprehensive about what might come in terms of uh protests and what have you but focusing on the track, obviously it's it's big that Passenger has been supplemented, obviously not altogether surprising, but after his luckless run in the downtown, I'm really excited to see how he might go against some some more experienced ones. And I think possibly a few outsiders in here, Wipiro and Dubai Mile, have been slightly overlooked. I think the ground, as, as we'll discuss, is potentially going to be a bigger factor than in previous years.
0: OK, well, we'll give you a ground update very shortly with Clark of the course, Andrew Cooper. But first of all, as I said, I caught up with John Gosden a few moments ago, and I began by asking him about his derby contender, Arrest, and how he'd done since his victory in the Chester Vars.
2: Well, he's learned a lot from Chester, as they always do. Uh, he wasn't meant to run and where because it was abandoned at Sandown in the classic trial there, but he, he won well at Chester in testing conditions. And uh, he has since been to Epsom itself and had a... A three wheel down Tatlin Corner around the bend, and obviously that's a learning curve for him. He's tied a tall leggy horse, but uh, we were very happy with him, and uh, you know ready to go. you can say it's an open Derby, but there'll be something going when it well. He's uh, he's definitely a horse as I've been clear that he'd be better suited by the say the layout of the Curragh than by Epsom, but he's in good form and uh, ready to go.
0: You see him more as a as a genuine, real stout stayer at a mile and a half, rather than that slightly nippier, golden horny type of horse.
2: Yeah, but you know, you've got to stay a mile and a half around Epsom. It's not the idea that it's a, an easy track; it isn't. You have to stay it, and uh, he'll do that. I'm just thinking that uh, you know the build of him isn't uh, the track isn't ideal. That's all. But that was clear from what Frankie said there. But we were pleased how he handled it, and he's ready to put up a, a bold showing.
0: Do you do much with them at that breakfast with the stars? Do you actually give them a what you, you would call a genuine piece of work, or is it just an no, amble no, round? I
2: remember when Andre Farr brought his horse over. They went, they went very fast. We would have done a three-quarter speed. I think that's the best way to define it, uh, just to get a good feel of coming from the top of the hill, round tapping the corner into the straight and meeting the camber.
0: Which of your two Oaks fillies do you prefer for the race at this stage, uh, Soul Sister I think or, or Running Line?
2: Yeah, look, they both won their trials very well. One in the, you know, one in the Pretty Polly, one in the Musadora. Couldn't be more pleased with them both at the moment. I mean, they they very much enjoyed the mile and a quarter. (coughs) They're not as stoutly bred as someone's in there, but they're in in great order and, and, and again, ready to run very nice races.
0: What was your take on Aidan O'Brien's Save the Last Dance in the Cheshire Oaks? Too good to be true or the real deal?
2: Well, I flew up. Frankie and I and William Buick and Brian—we all flew up to get the Chester and back that day. And I tried to put Ryan, you <laughs> know, said, "Oh, it was the ground. She liked the ground, you know, like we did, and everything else." And he wouldn't listen to it. He, he really, really got a great feel of her. felt she's a perfect filly for the mile and a half of Epsom, and uh, and I think that's why she's a legitimate favourite.
0: Yeah, the way she quickened up was very smart, whatever the conditions. Uh, And the Coronation Cup, we haven't seen much written or talked about Emily Upjohn, really. Uh, We are forgetting her too prematurely. She was very good last season. She was unlucky in the Oaks. How's she wintered?
2: She's been fine. Like a lot of the fillies, we had that slightly false glimpse of spring in February, and then we had it cold and wet. A lot of the fillies went back into themselves, and she's taken a long time to come ready. But... She's ready now to to go there and, and run. Hopefully, a very nice race in the coronation. Uh, I wouldn't have a. I have a very much that the race will bring her on, and uh, we're looking forward to you know. The, the, for the older horses, the races are June onwards anyhow, so we didn't need to have her ready to roll early. We had a look at think about going to Dubai and then chose not to, which was a sort of correct and wise decision, given who won it down there, the Japanese horse. Mm. And I think, uh, you know, it looks like a, a small select elite field at a uh, Westover. I mean, they're, they're good Colts. So she's fully taking on the good Colts, but uh, we want to get her back on the track. And, and I think you'll see a great improvement uh, we go, as we go into
0: June and July. I mean, there was, at the beginning of last year, there really was a, a bit of real brilliance about her as well. I mean, do you think she could be one of those elite level horses, if all goes right for her, by the end of the season?
2: Well, I think she showed it early on, and then we had it, it all went uh, wrong in the King George. It was a strange race. A lot of horses even Westover over that day. They all seemed to be wanting to over race, and it was a strange race. I take nothing from the winner, but he sat there and watched them all taking each other on, and then came cruised by them. And then we had a long time after come back for the Philly and Mayor Championship Race, uh, our championship day, which she won with with great authority. I think right now we, she's probably at that stage of getting back up to that level, but I think the race will, will be key to bringing her on and into a full summer bloom, if you like, in her coat.
0: And one final question. I see you've got the Royal Runner, Reach for the Moon, entered in the, in the Diamond Stakes. Have you finally got the key to this horse, do you think?
2: No, no, he's far cleverer than I am, I'm far cleverer than the jockeys. Uh, look, he's a talented chap. There's no doubt, but I thought uh, the time Ed, that might, uh, might interest him. Kicking off the top of the hill there and down, mile 110 yards, I thought that might be something that interests him. And uh, he's one of those horses that uh, you see plenty in the morning and then he just tends to not necessarily show up in the 15th round in the, in the afternoon, that's
0: for sure. Epsom can sue the odd horse like that, can't it? Because they just don't have that much time to think about it.
2: No, it happens pretty quickly down the hill, and as long as they handle that, uh, he he could run a very big race. But uh, it'll be entirely up to him. It won't be up to the trainer or the jockey.
0: John Gosden there, latterly on Reach for the Moon, but perhaps more personally on the very talented Emily Upjohn. The two exciting fillies in the Oaks, and as I'm sure many people will this weekend, backing the powers of arrest at Epsom, Jonathan Harding.
1: Arrest. Was very impressive, obviously on his on his last start at Chester on soft ground. Um, he looked to me to be a a really big horse. You'd think he'd be one that sort of gets into his stride and and does lack that tactical speed I think you need in in a Derby. But he certainly goes there with a chance. He's got that form from last season with Dubai Mile, which was reasonably strong. I mean, he won his novice on um, on what I believe on good to firm ground so that shouldn't be an issue i think obviously some reservations about the undulations of the track i think his, his price may be reflective of the frankie de tory factor to a point but i don't think he goes there without a chance i wouldn't write him off just yet um he's one of the few in there that we know definitely gets the trip which could be a factor
0: which of gosden's oaks fillies do you prefer
1: soul sister or or running lion if you put a gun to my head, say Soul Sister, I think I was really impressed with with uh, her winning the Musadora. She hasn't got too much more to find in terms of the trip. I think with Running Lion, I like the fact that she's a little bit more experienced, a little bit more tested. But given she's by Roaring Lion, who didn't quite, who, who ran brilliantly in the derby and was obviously, was obviously a top, top horse, but didn't quite get... The mile and a half that would be a real more of a question mark trip wise for running line than soul sister, um. So I would I'd say narrowly soul sister for me of their pair. And do
0: you think that Emily Upjohn, even on her seasonal debut, even if she's not quite at concert pitch yet, has the innate talent to defeat Westover and Adair in a
1: Coronation Cup? I think she she potentially does, and is obviously getting a. a weight allowance as well albeit a small one um she had a bit of an up and down season last year of course she won the musadora really well then went to epsom and and somehow nearly pulled it out the bag having probably the worst possible run of the race to finish within a short head of tuesday was it was a mighty performance then we had the the bird strike into the plane and missing a currer and a, a bit of an anomaly at ascot in the King George, but she bounced back well on her, lo- her last start in the Phillies and mares to show that she retained all of that ability from before. My concern is she hasn't quite got that match practice. She obviously missed the Shima Classic, wasn't quite ready for that. And I think she's the only one in the field who hasn't had a run this calendar year. So you can take that either way. Either she's turning up as a, a fresh horse ready to rock and roll first time up, and she should be good enough to win this, or... And sort of the feeling, I think John Gosling's quietly quite excited, but or she's going to need the run and, and looking ahead to targets later in the year. I think if if the Emily up John that ran in the Oaks turns up, she should take all the beating.
0: All right, let's get a quick check on what the state of the conditions might be like at Epsom at the weekend with just a few days to go. Clark of the course, Andrew Cooper joins me now. Andrew, it's been largely dry of late. Are we expecting it to be dry up till Friday? Yeah, it doesn't
3: seem any doubt in that, Nick, and quite settled temperatures as well. I think most days are going to be in that sort of 20, maybe 21 degree territory, uh, sunny spells, and, and quite breezy. It's actually quite, quite breezy here, um, has been for the last couple of days, and that looks like continuing quite a chilly breeze, actually.
0: So drying conditions, albeit not baking, but we know the downs dry out very fast. What water are you putting on between now and then?
3: Well, we're putting on – I mean, obviously, this is something that's reviewed certainly daily and almost sort of half daily, to be honest, just as as conditions sort of, you know, progress. We, we we reckon uh in terms of how much moisture we're losing at the moment in these sort of conditions that sort of 21 degree you know breezy it's about three to four millimeters of, of moisture a day uh, is taken up in, in what we call evapotranspiration so theoretically if you put three or four millimeters of irrigation back on you you should be standing still in going terms i'd I, Personally, I don't think it's quite as as exact a sort of uh, uh, an equation as that. So, so uh, And what we're doing is probably in the region of, or have been certainly to date, and including here this morning, putting on in the region of three to five millimetres to try and sort of, at this end stage of the week, maintain conditions at what I would describe as if you had to call it one thing, you would say good, but it certainly, if anything, is, is edging towards the faster side of good. Hence, you know, a going description uh, here and now of good, good to firm in places.
0: In terms of what you're able to do at Epsom overnight from Friday into Saturday if it stays dry, is your preference to not water overnight on Friday?
3: I think it would it would be anyone's preference as a clerk of the course, and it never to have to sort of water overnight. But it clearly would be a consideration. But Epsom, Epsom is not an easy track to water overnight, and historically, because of its undulations, because of the, uh, the sort of manual nature of the watering system here, you know, it, it's not it's not a straightforward place. I, one section of the course I've never watered overnight here in the past at the Derby meeting, and wouldn't this week, this uh, end of this week, is is the sort of lower Downhill section of the hill because uh, experience tells us that that needs certainly thirty-six hours or so to sort of settle down to rise sort of consistently, uh, you know, after irrigation. So, you know, we'll try and get certainly the, the the Derby strip down the hill would, in our thinking, last see any irrigation on Thursday. Because um, we can split, we water it with booms, which mean we can sort of water specific lines of ground. Because obviously there's a separate ground, separate line in place for for Thursday, for, for Friday, sorry, for Oaks Day. So you know, it's um, it's not in a bad place at the moment. As I say, I think good, good, to firmly places is is a, is a fair enough call. All we're trying to do with what we're doing at the moment is keep it at or near that for the next couple of days. Um, we'll consider overnight watering, which realistically would be home straight and probably the back straight up to about the six furlong pole, based on
0: what I said earlier, um, which we can do on Friday evening. Andrew Cooper. Now, there was a Group 1 race in Europe yesterday. It was the pre-dispal, run over nine furlongs at lanchon It was a blanket finish. There was barely a length covering the first five home. But the winner was Anmart in the Colours of Shaker Hisses Shadwell Estates, trained like Hookham, last week's Brigadier Gerard Stakes winner by Owen Burrows, what a week he's had, and ridden by Shadwell's retained jockey, Jim Crowley. Uh, given how much of a bunch they were in at the finish, I asked him to what extent, I asked Jim Crowley, that is, to what extent uh, this horse, Anmart, was the best. He
4: um, was the best, Nick, obviously. Um, but the, the, the race didn't really work out. Um, as I'd hoped, I, I wanted to... Get a bit more of a prominent position, but um, I had to take back a little bit, otherwise, I was going to get caught wide. But um, and then it was a bit of a sprint finish, and I thought, under the circumstances, he did very well. Obviously, um, he'd prefer a little bit slower ground as well. I thought the ground was lovely enough for him, so he could probably upgrade his performance.
0: Yeah, I'm getting slight vibes of a horse we spoke about last week who won the brigadier Gerard might it be that both he and his his stable mate have got a, a bit quicker over the winter
4: well it, it, it looks that way funny enough they work together at home now and again so um, uh, when when Huckham won, I was I was quite pleased to see that um, but uh, no it's it's great for Owen and it's you know he's, he's done a remarkable job to get Huckham back um, everybody at Shadwell as well because you know he had a career ending injury so to get him back as well and and obviously nice to start get a group one winner as well for it and that would be more a 10 furlong horse um, and obviously huckum is obviously mile and a half i'd love to see a wet king george um and, and i think his long-term aim i think he'd be tailor-made for an arch triumph
0: well there's been an awful lot exchanged including on this podcast with uh, bha representatives trainers and representatives of uh, uh, of the industry about the, the benefits and, and demerits of, of running racing on a Sunday evening as part of the the BHA's new fixture proposals. Now the BHA were very keen to stress that this is a six part pilot and they were particularly keen to stress that in response to uh, NTF President Rafe Beckett who came on my Sunday show on Racing TV and said that what had originally been put on the table was a much more extensive proposal than that. but that they had forced them back to a a six-week pilot, is still a pilot. What I really want to drill down into today is um, to what extent and why would this be of benefit to the betting industry? Because we know that this is being done to drive to drive betting turnover, but to what extent it could be of benefit to racing's coffers. So just to, to try and sort of keep this up front, Simon Clare is the um, PR director for uh, Entain, Corals and Ladbrokes, and is with me now. Now, Simon, we, we all know we're not daft. We all know that people are unlikely to be flocking to floodlit venues in the winter on a Sunday evening. That's not the point here. The question is what tangible benefit do we think the racing industry could gain from this and why?
5: Well, I think the BHA, you know, throughout this whole process, the, the industry review with the various stakeholders has been exploring a wide range of uh, ways to try and grow the sports revenues because I think, you know, certainly from a betting perspective we've always said that you know it's a complex sport but there's no way that racing has been completely sort of optimized or or, or structured in such a way that can really um, see those material increases And so this is just one example i suppose of of, of an opportunity that racing has dabbled within the summer with the with the uh the the series of sunday uh, evening fixtures and they have worked very well from a betting perspective and and in terms of of potential you know, increase in revenue generation, mm. and, th- and this winter opportunity is a trial. I think the, the, the BHA have announced as part of this uh, their new yeah, fixtures for twenty four, and I think it, and there's lots of reasons why it could work quite well. But clearly, the BHA has to couch those and balance those yeah. with other other concerns which
0: i think are being aired by by the media at the moment yeah exactly and so, so concerns about staffing and concerns about whether there is a genuine customer appetite for it and so forth we understand why the sky Bet sunday series has worked quite well which is because it's on itv it guarant- got the guaranteed tv slot the big fields lots of prize money etc cetera, etc cetera. it's all a virtuous circle and therefore it's levy positive i think the more interesting thing is in your opinion whether whatever you put on on a sunday evening the idea that that sunday evening is a sort of an unexplored betting slot that there is an appetite for people to gamble in that in that little window there at the back end of a of a sunday in the winter and i'm wondering what's prompted that is it is it overseas racing what's what's kind of what do you think uh, triggered that
5: well, I think we've seen, we've seen you know, quite a bit of success during the winter with winter, uh the evenings, you know, on sort of Friday nights, uh, you know, the midweek evenings, and Sunday in the winter, almost more so than the summer to summer. people tend to be at home. It's obviously, you know, it's, it's colder, it's darker, and there's plenty of sport on, on Sundays throughout the year, particularly, you know, that continues through the winter. Um, and the fact that we do have, you know, effectively a nighttime sporting product, Sunday evening racing, which can fit, can, can work on those, And those particular slots means it's definitely, uh, you know, it's definitely an opportunity. And I think that's the point with a trial. You know, you don't know. And the great thing is we're in a situation now probably better than ever where where, where, where all the betting operators pull their betting data, uh, you know, to a third party. And we're actually currently supplying that to the BHA for the first time so they can actually run proper you know uh, evidence-based um, you know uh, analysis of this kind of thing so i think you know we're in a position of strength that we might not have been before where we can actually genuinely start to measure the upside what i would say one of the the challenges that we're facing throughout this is is from a betting perspective is that this is a bigger it's not just about levy generation it's about the you know the media rights that flows into the sport and there is still you know a frustrating lack of transparency about you know you know, for even from within racing, of um, how that money flows through, because those are those are the key constituents. You know, the levy, the media rights payments that are generated by betting on the sport, um, and those are the you know those are the two big revenue streams through which all these changes to fixed. this. And this is one of them, but there are many others. You know, the freeing up of uh, Saturdays and the uh, change to race programs to try and make racing far more competitive. You know, trying to deal with the summer jumping problem. There's loads of aspects, and this is just one trial. Which, which which added together to get them right can genuinely make a material sea change in racing's income through those big, big, you know, those big betting revenue streams. And um, so this is worth a try, as are all the things that are being proposed. But um, I, I still think there's a hell of a lot more to go after
0: after that. All right. Listening to that was Jonathan Harding from the Racing Post. Jonathan, your thoughts there on what Simon Clare had to say?
1: I think what's important to highlight from the offset is this emphasis on it being an evidence based approach and being a pilot i think a lot of people in racing are very encouraged that this isn't simply an idea that's been plucked out of the air and thrown at the wall it's going to hopefully be driven by the by the betting data by the by the evidence that they've been presented with and people are broadly willing to at least try it whether everybody's quite on the same page with sunday mm. evening racing in well, particular i'm not sure but
0: we, we definitely uh, saw didn't we with, with Rafe beckett's reaction that they're that they're not i mean the, the the point that he he underlined that hadn't been in the public domain was that the the bha was going for a much more wide-ranging or much scopier uh, set of dates you know up to 30 sunday evenings And they kind of made them row back and said, no, this has got to be a pilot of of six. At least that's what Rafe said on my on my Sunday programme. So there's clearly some tension surrounding this. And it's a question of what it generates and whether it generates enough to then give give enough back to the industry for the for the industry to be satisfied.
1: No, and that's absolutely right. I think, as Simon touched on, the Sunday series worked very well in the summer. And I think it worked well because, as you mentioned, it has that ITV slot. It had decent prize money. And I think that's where the balance needs to be struck. If you're asking racing's already fairly strained workforce to basically operate on Sunday evenings to produce what is essentially a betting product, I can't imagine there is going to be too much interest in people going racing on a Sunday evening in the middle of the winter under the floodlights then they have to be rewarded with... There has to be proper incentives. I'm I'm a fan of having good racing on a Sunday in the day because I think that's possibly something we're a little bit behind on versus other sports. The weekend is when people can engage with it and engage with other sports alongside it. So I, I see the sense in Sundays. The Sunday series, I think, worked well in isolation. But I think if you're going to... If this pilot is to work then it has to offer proper incentives like the Sunday series does for trainers, owners and staff to engage with it during the winter. And I also think that there would have to be some sort of concession in the week, some sort of lighter midweek break on a quieter day, which again can be data led where they almost get that time back because it's, it's potentially going to be a tough sell, I think for stable staff Sunday evening racing quite understandably, but I understand if if the data shows that the betting turnover is there and the betting interest is there, then great. And hopefully the pilots will show that. But I think it also perhaps shows just where the mindset is at the moment. Julie Harrington of the BHA says that they're not prioritising betting turnover over things like footfall, attendances, all those other important things that sustain the sport. I don't know. This feels to me a lot like it is essentially just a, a betting product. And in order if we're going to be pushing something just as a betting product, then the data has to show that it's working in that way. Yeah. And and, and be upfront about it as well. If if that's what if
0: that's what's driving it, that that's what's driving it. We're we're all grown ups. So we understand how how the sport is how the sport is financed.
1: The, the BHA has that difficult job of, of balancing everything. We're not so naive as to think that it's just run as a sport and betting has nothing to do with it. It's complete it's you know, there is that relationship between the two. But at the same time, I wouldn't like to see, and I'm not suggesting this is the case, but it would be a race to the bottom if the mindset switched to just providing a betting product full stop and maximizing that and forgetting attendances and forgetting all the other great things that that make the sport what it is.
0: All right, it's Tuesday, which means we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's, their excellent global stallion app and, of course, their ever-reliable stallion book. You might remember a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, I spoke to Gerhard Scherning not only about his racing and bloodstock interests, but also about the development of racing in what was East Germany before the reunification, and particularly about the redevelopment of Hoppergarten race course. We're not too far away from there today because we're going to... To be joined by um, Matthias Tantler, who's the stud manager of Gestüt Graditz, which is one of the oldest studs in the entirety of Germany, uh, in Saxony, in, in Torgau. Uh, Matthias joins me now. Uh, great to great to check in, Matthias. There is some serious history here. I mean, I, I I talk to a lot of people about a lot of ancient studs all around the world, but I don't think I can find one that much that much older than this or, or with much more history. Where did it all start?
6: It starts more than three hundred years ago.
0: Wow. wow!
6: In the seventh century, uh, there were different courts that established here around the town of torgo and because there was a strong demand for military and transport houses, and it was the start. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had the big time at 1720, and there was a big king in Saxony, Friedrich August. August Strong <laughs> and he commissioned the Saxon court architect uh, Pöppelmann and to plan and supervise the laying out of the Gradet And
0: can you still see what was originally built there from the from the seventeenth century?
6: <clears throat> yes, it's all here. The, the castle, the gatehouse, mayor stable, the long stable, it's all from this time.
0: And and do you have any idea what sort of horses were being were being reared there or the or or, or bred there at the time?
6: And for the first time it was for military and for transport, it was just what, uh, what was the demand for. And after this, after uh, Napoleon, uh, in Saxony we are not so good with war because we lost the war two times. <laughs> first time as Napoleon came to Saxony and the other time as he came back from Moscow. And there <clears throat> that's why the Stad uh, was owned by Prussia. From 1816.
0: Wow! And so you had the Prussian stud administration in the in the mid 19th century, and that and that's roughly at the time when when the sort of what we would call the the, the Anglo thoroughbred was was starting to be bred at Graditz, yeah?
6: Yes, yes. That was um, uh, you must imagine uh, Prussia. That was a big horse industry. They had 20,000 horses in uh, in total. The most of them in East Prussia, uh, the Takena and then they saw the the, uh, the success of the Thoroughbreds, also with uh, half-blood in the war, and so they decided to concentrate all the Thoroughbred breed here in Grades. So all the Thoroughbreds from Traken, from Neustadtdasse, and they put them together here in the stad, and that was the start of a big, big um, uh, history. <laughs> uh, you know maybe the name of Graf von Leindorf. He started here at 1866 and he was the stud manager for 14 years, then after him his son also for 20 years, so it was 60 years in the hands of the uh, family of um, Lindorf. And this was also the, the, the time uh, of the big successes. Maybe you can imagine it like a football club today, uh, they invest in the buildings, they um, bought horses in Ireland, in UK, uh, they get trainers from UK, they um, bought the, the uh, racing stable in Hoppegarten, and it yes, was the reason why uh, some years later they had the first Derby winner and in totally until 1945 it have been uh, 13 uh, Derby winners from Cardiff
0: and so there was a period wasn 't there at the beginning of the 20th century where it was completely dominant
6: yes uh, they, they dominated uh, throughout the, the race courses uh, they had to weigh more weight uh, uh, in, in some races and they uh, sometimes it was for for Stuttgart, it's to start in some races uh, because they dominate the the full uh, races.
0: So for, for real turf historians, and these names might be familiar: horses like Onlyard, Patrick, Herold, Hannibal, Nuage, Dark, Ronald, Answer. They were the they were the horses that were that were the the real flag bearers in Germany at the time. Yes,
6: <clears throat> and maybe also the, the Mayor Antwort. It uh, was. One of the founder of the A family, and we all know uh, what influence we have from this family, from this that family in all over the world with Allegra and uh, Owen C and so on.
0: So that, so that's the family that produced Urban C. So that was that. That was the Allegretta family, was it it?
6: it? it was a part of the to the A family. Okay, and that and so
0: that all that all began at, at Graditz?
6: Yeah, the problem is that uh, we lost all these families after World War Two, and a part of the a family was um, in, is in home at uh, Schlennhahn, but we lost all these horses here.
0: And so you have redeveloped, rebuilt, and gradually, you know, got got.
6: It was in, in, in after after World War Two, um, uh, um, Russia. Um, have uh, taken over the the responsibility uh, about the stud, and they um, all the horses and all the stud were lost in this time.
0: And then, when did the when did the reestablishment happen meaningfully?
6: Um, it was also in GDR time. A uh, thoroughbred stud for maybe with more than 100 broodmares here, um, but it was for the race courses in the GDR. And after the wall came down, um, they started again new. <laughs> and under uh, with the new concept, um, there are two-thirds of the studs. They are breeding <clears throat> um, horses for sports, for, for jumping and riding. And on this... Other part that's what we are doing, um, private on leasehold, it's the thoroughbred. Um, we have today around about forty to fifty broodmares mares here, and yeah that's what we are doing.
0: And you've also got stallions, and there's a wonderful link here because you were talking about the the advancement of the a family uh, yes. at, at your stud. Uh, and you've got a representative in the shape of Ikitos who is one of the best offspring of Adlerflug much sadly missed but been a great influence in, in Europe through the last two or three years
6: uh, Ikitos is a three-time Group 1 winner and I think one of the best offspring of the Derby winner Adlerflug and um, in nineteen uh, in 2018 um, as he uh, finished his career at the race course, and we all know that he has they are looking for a stat. I've spoken to Steinmaligen, Anna and that I'm interested in the horse, but then he won in a, a very, very good way the last group race. And then there have been a lot of people uh, they have been interested in. And so he uh, has come to Amaland for the first two seasons. Um, but Amaland has also um, Waldgeist and Luke de Vega. And so they had not, not much enough power to, to support him with a lot of uh, mares. He got a uh, very good what the, the success we see today. Um, so after two years, they decided to go to another stud and uh, Werner Gerald called me and I had one minute and I said yes, please take him to, to graves I'm I'm um, a big fan from ikitos uh, his confirmation is excellent. He's not such big. Uh, but. If you see him, when he moves, every piece fits together like a clockwork. <clears throat> it's very good. Ah. And he has a, has a really great character. As a, I've been working with horses now for over 40 years, but I've rarely seen a horse so curious, smart, incredible, charming. Um, he he always wants to be like a model student and so everything he does, he does. So so he tries to understand what is required of him, and then, then, then he implemented it. So... Is a, is a really great guy and I love to work with him.
0: Uh, you've also got Lucky Lion and Rip Van Lips standing with you yes. at the moment. How are they getting on?
6: That's right. Uh, Lucky Lion um, is <clears throat> also group um, group 1 winner. Uh, he had one of the best success was the uh, Großer Dallmeyer Prize. He had won against uh, Noble Mission. Uh, and he's now in the sixth season here in Graz. Uh, it's uh, very good uh, last year it's not not so easy for, for you know that for some stallions to to grow in the business because the quality of the mares is a problem um, but he um, last year he had 10 starters on the race course and four winners so it's it's a good result for him i think he uh, the all of these anchor stars are better than the um, uh, uh mares, so what he produced. And Rip van Lips is more for the long distance. You know, he won the uh, Oleander race in Berlin, uh, 3,800 meters. And yes, he's in the second season here in, in uh, Graditz.
0: Well, it's, it's a fascinating history, and I'm, I'm so pleased that you're, you're doing so much to, to keep Graditz's name in lights. And best of luck with the son of Ikitos, Mr. Hollywood in the German Derby. Matthias, thanks for talking to, to me. me. Okay, thank you very much. All right, thanks to Matthias and thanks to all my guests today. What a fascinating story that was. Jonathan Harding is still with me and hopefully uh, can send you wherever you're going today with a winner.
1: Yeah, fingers crossed. Um, I've landed on Sugar Candy in the nine o'clock at Nottingham, so you're going to have to wait for this one. But she's bred to be significantly better than a mark of 48, and this looks like a really good opportunity for her to get off the mark for Huey Morrison.
0: Jonathan, thanks so much. Thanks for listening uh, from a, a very chilly Leicester race course. I will see you again tomorrow. Bye bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with FitzDares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.